Hey listeners, thanks for dropping in. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. Hey listeners. Welcome back to Buried Motives. We are so glad that you are joining us today. Chrissy's got a great case for us. I have one that I'm so excited to tell you about. I've been wanting to do this case for a long time. It's our favorite time of year, Christy. It's true. Spooky season is upon us. We both love the fall and I am obsessed with Halloween. I love it. I like Halloween too. The candy is great. I just don't like being scared all the time. (laughs) She researches murderers, (laughs) but she's scared of some Halloween stuff. Says the person who is afraid of the Halloween decoration of the clown in her neighbor's window. Yeah, that about stopped my heart. The clowns are an exception. (laughs) But before we get into our spooky case for today, remember when we said earlier that we were going to run a new giveaway in the fall? Mm -hmm. Well, the time has arrived. We have partnered with a super cool lady named Christine Ingle to invite you to trick or treat with us buried motive style. Christine is a trendy content creator who shares mom truths, her love of fashion, amazing recipes, and things about her life as a farmish wife. And if that wasn't enough, she sells these adorable handbags from the company Poppy and Peenies. Together with Christine, we wanted to give you a chance to win one of their most popular bags. But don't worry, it's not a dirt bag. So head on over to our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram to get all of the giveaway details. And that's not the only thing we're giving away, so be sure to check it out. And check out Christine at Christine Ingle Lifestyles or Christine Ingle on Instagram. And don't delay because we're going to select a winner on Halloween. But if you don't win, Christine has provided our listeners with a special discount code for Poppy and Peenies. Head on over to our social media feeds where we'll hook you up with a discount code for any of the awesome Poppy and Peenies handbags and accessories. They have some super cute stuff. You won't want to miss it. Yes. So now that we've talked about our fall giveaway and we're kind of getting into our spooky season, as we've mentioned, Halloween is one of my favorite times of the year. Last Halloween, I covered the case of William Michael Dennis, which occurred on actual Halloween day. And believe it or not, I still think about this case from time to time. It was super creepy. Yeah, some cases have a lasting impact more than others. And for whatever reason, that one really has stuck with me. This year, I decided to go a slightly different way. But first, I have to ask, what is something that people like to do on Halloween after they put their kids to bed and all the trick-or-treaters have gone home? Eat all their kids' candy? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I put first, we raid our kids' candy, and then we settle in to watch a scary movie of some sort. Christy does anyway. (laughs) I always do. You know what? It's been a while since I've made you watch a scary movie with me. It has been. I think it was like last Halloween. We might have to do a redo. Oh, no. You're due, girl. (laughs) I'll keep you guys posted. I think Scream was the last one we watched together. Was it? I think so. And that was prior to me covering the case that was inspired by Scream. Yeah. That's been too long. (laughs) All right. That's it. You just did it to yourself. Before the end of the month, we've got to watch a scary movie together. Oh, man. So today... Instead of bringing you a case that has something to do with Halloween, I thought I would bring you a case that inspired multiple famous horror movies that we like to watch on Halloween. Oh. Our deranged dirtbag of the week inspired the characters of Norman Bates in the 1960 classic Psycho, Leatherface in the horrifying movie The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Buffalo Bill in the super creepy flick The Silence of the Lambs. No. Yes. We're going there today. Like it's the clothing of human skin? We are going to be talking about skin. Oh. And I do think that Buffalo Bill was inspired by a few different real life dirt bags, but was largely based on the man we are discussing today. And just a side note, if you are a fan of Psycho, you'll likely love the TV show Bates Motel. It's a modern day adaptation of the movie and the acting of Norman and Norma I swear, is award-winning, in my opinion. I haven't seen that one yet. It's so good. I told my mom about it, and she binged all the seasons in a weekend. Oh my goodness. It's so good. 
But it is probably the best acting I've seen in a TV show in a long time. I'm so far behind in my TV shows. We're just (laughs) binging Stranger Things right now. (laughs) If you haven't guessed it yet, we're going to be talking about the super creepy Edward Gein. Have you heard about him? Yes, this is going to be a disgusting case, isn't it? It is. And like I said, I have been wanting to cover this case for a while now, but was waiting for the right time. This will be one of our most gruesome cases we will likely cover, so listeners, beware. Beware or be warned. (laughs) Both. (laughs) It's It's always both. (laughs) Let's start our discussion with Ed's parents, Augusta and George. Augusta Willemine Lerick Gein was born on July 21st, 1879 in La Crosse County, Wisconsin. She was one of eight children. Her parents were German immigrants from Prussia. She was a fanatically religious Lutheran, and to put it mildly, she was a force to be reckoned with. She was the type of woman to speak her mind and take charge of all situations. And I just felt like, what a suiting name. Augusta, to me, feels like a name of a woman who takes no nonsense from anyone. Yeah, like a force of nature, right? Yeah, Augusta. It's just the perfect name for her. George Philip Gein was born on August 4th, 1873 in Vernon County, Wisconsin. He was the opposite of Augusta. He was timid and he was an alcoholic who worked different jobs as a farmer, a carpenter, an assurance salesman, and a leather tanner. George was reportedly often out of work, which angered Augusta. The unlikely pair married in the year 1900 on December 11th. A year after being married, Augusta gave birth to Ed's older brother, Henry George. Edward Theodore Gein was born five years later in La Crosse, Wisconsin, on August 27, 1906. He often went by Ed or Eddie, and I'll refer to him as Edward or Ed. I kind of went back and forth and then didn't want to go back and change my notes. (laughs) (laughs) Augusta had prayed for a daughter and was visibly disappointed to be the mother of two sons. Oh, this never goes well. It doesn't. However, she decided to take this opportunity to teach her boys about the evilness of women. Oh. She believed that all women were naturally promiscuous and devil-like. All women except for herself, of course. Oh, that's what I was just going to say. Like, what kind of personality does she have that she's so afraid of women? She is not promiscuous, but we could call her devil-like. She referred to women as whores and warned her boys to stay away from them. She wanted her boys to remain virgins. What? Mm Mm-hmm. She didn't want any grandchildren. Not if it meant her children had to have sex. And if they did, they had to for sure be married. So why did she hate sex so much? Good question. (laughs) I just can't wrap my head around anybody hating sex that much. (laughs) She just felt like all the women were these little harlots that were trying to corrupt men. She's quite fanatical about it. Okay. Every day she read to Henry and Ed from the Bible. She focused on the Old Testament and the book of Revelation, emphasizing lessons about divine retribution. Augusta would belittle the boys' father in front of them and anyone else who was around. She had grown to hate George, but because of her religious views, divorce was off the table. She hated him because he couldn't get a job. She had just soon realized that marrying him was a mistake. They were not a good match. Hmm. But it seems like he's pretty easy to control. And for a domineering woman, you think that's what you would want. Well, it doesn't stay that way necessarily. Because George would take the verbal abuse from Augusta. That was until he was drinking. When he would get drunk, he would sometimes beat his wife. Likely the only time that he felt he was exerting his dominance. Hmm. So he would take it timidly from her. And then he would get liquid courage, and that's when he would start to bang her around. Because George was often out of work, Augusta opened a grocery store, and it was a lucrative business for them. Some people said that Augusta would shout at her husband even while at the store. Ooh, that wouldn't have been kosher for that time, for a woman to be yelling at a man? No. In the middle of their shop in front of the customers? No. Despite the store being successful... Eventually, Augusta could not handle all the evil influences and devil women who were coming into her shop, and so she naturally decided to sell the business that was supporting their family. Okay. Well, this is showing how seriously she believes this. Yeah. Right? Because the store is doing really well. The devil women who are actually her customers and providing her family with the means to live. Right. Okay. But she just can't handle being in their presence, having them coming into the store, trying to influence her, her boys, her husband. 
She's just not having that. Just their mere presence is an influence. Yes. If you were actually a devil woman, I guess it would be. Yeah. And I'm not saying that they were. They were not. (laughs) (laughs) They were just regular women going grocery shopping to provide for their families. She moved them into the middle of nowhere to shelter her sons from the evils of the world around them. And I'm not sure if this was a motivating factor, but in one report it stated that when Ed was seven, he saw his parents slaughter a pig behind the store and reportedly became sexually aroused by this. Oh, mm-hmm. that's an unusual reaction to slaughtering a pig, especially at seven. Yeah. They moved to a very isolated farm that was on 195 acres or 79 hectares of land in Plainfield, Wisconsin in 1914 when Ed was eight years old. They lived in a two-story farmhouse with white clapboard siding. This home would later be referred to by the media as a house of horrors, and rightfully so. I was just thinking it was sounding really idealistic. It could have been. It should have been. Edward and Henry were only allowed to leave the farm to go to school and back, and were not allowed to have any friends. Outsiders were an unholy influence. The closest neighbors lived a mile away, and instead of playing with friends, Edward spent most of his time doing chores around the farm. The school they attended was a one-room schoolhouse. Ed was an average student, but was an exceptional reader, likely from reading the Bible. Yeah, that's hard to understand. It is, and just even the wording in the Bible would really strengthen your grasp on the English language. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't even a joke. Like, I'm being serious about that. When Ed was younger, he had a growth on his eyelid that caused his eye to become a little droopy and resulted in a bit of a lazy eye. The kids decided to pick on him for this and because he was so reclusive. I imagine this reiterated to him the teaching of his mother that the kids at school were wicked and he needed to stay away from them. I could see that. As Edward and Henry grew, Augusta would rule in strictness yelling at the boys that if they didn't do better, they would end up like their failure of a father. Oh. Their failure of a father would get drunk and smack Ed in the head repeatedly until his ears rang from crying about being bullied. Oh. When Edward was 12, his mother caught him masturbating in the bathtub. Oh, dear. She swiftly grabbed him by the genitals and screamed at him that this was the curse of a man. She picked him up by his genitals? She grabbed him there. Okay. That's going to create some really conflicting emotions in a little boy. By then he was 12, but absolutely. Mm -hmm. At age 14, Ed finished grade 8, but then never went back to school. He just wanted to work on the farm and be close to his mother. He had become abnormally obsessed with the woman who was raising him. She became his whole world. He had no friends, and he would never have a girlfriend. Remember, she taught him that sex was evil, and women were the devil's instruments. Well, I was just thinking, she's vilified everybody else, so who can he have friends with? Exactly. And she would even go as far as to punish him if she suspected that he was making a friend of any sort. So is it a big shocker then that his mom is the only person that he hangs out with? And that's what she wanted. Mm -hmm. Because it seems like almost everybody is doing the devil's work in her eyes, except for her. Everybody else is a villain. Yeah. In 1937, George, Edward's father, became physically unable to work and would drink the family's earnings away. On April 1st, 1940, at the age of 66, he passed away from symptoms caused by alcoholism. Augusta blamed his death on his sins, and the family didn't really mourn his passing. The boys weren't choked up over it? I guess he just hit them. Yeah, and all they had been taught by their mom was what a lowlife he was. Mm Mm-hmm. Henry and Ed took on odd handyman jobs to help the family finances. There were some reports that because of Ed's quiet and unsophisticated demeanor, he sometimes got cheated out of his fair pay. However, this wasn't the only source of income he found. Strangely enough, Edward became a popular babysitter for other town folk. Oh, no way. He said that kids were easier to relate to than adults. So is he delayed? No, not at all. He has, I think his IQ was 109, like a pretty average IQ. Okay. The townspeople had no reason not to trust Edward at this point, and there are no reports of any foul behavior while babysitting. So he likes children. Yeah, he got along better with them. Maybe they hadn't been as villainized in his mind by his mom as actual adults. Yeah, children are way more innocent, right? Mm -hmm. But can you imagine later... Learning that you had let a murderer take care of your children. Like later when they find out what Ed does. No. I just can't even imagine. 
That's like sitting your child on Dirtbag Santa's lap. True. (laughs) But on all accounts, they said he was a good babysitter. Hmm. Which is kind of interesting. I don't know if we could say that about all the dirtbags that we cover. Yeah. In 1942, during the Second World War, Edward made the farthest trip he would ever make away from his mother. He was eligible to be drafted and had to go to Milwaukee for a physical exam. This would have been under a three-hour drive. And that was the farthest he'd ever ventured. And even later on, right? Yes. He was rejected because the growth he had on his eyelid impaired his vision. He also had been born with a lesion on his tongue that caused his speech to be slightly impaired. Once rejected, he quickly returned home to his beloved mother. And I'm sure she was relieved. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. She didn't even have to do a protection spell like in your case from last week. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Henry, so Ed's brother started to date a divorced woman with two children and began to realize the unhealthy relationship that his little brother had with their mother. And this began to put a wedge between them. Was Henry absolutely disowned by his mom for dating a divorced woman? No. Oh, I thought all women were of the devil. They are. But he was working on the farm, helping her, that kind of stuff. I don't think she was happy about it, though. Hmm. Henry did not share the same sentiments that Edward did. He wanted to live his own life and not be controlled as an adult by their mother and her distorted views. He was making plans to move in with his girlfriend. This caused many fights between the brothers. Henry would talk badly about their mother and Edward would be horrified. His mom was his best and only friend. So this is an interesting look at nature versus nurture. Because they were raised in the same household. So how come Henry ended up with such a different view than Edward of their relationship with their mother? That's true. I guess this would give researchers a field day to examine. Because was Henry treated any differently than Edward? Like, was he less of a favorite? The information that I found suggested that Ed and his mother were extremely close, but not at the doing of Augusta treating Henry differently. Right. And it sounds like he received all of the same warnings and lessons that Augusta was giving Edward. Absolutely. Hmm. That's a good point. It's interesting that Henry was able to see the relationship for what it was. True. I didn't find any reports that Henry had been bullied like Edward had. And so maybe that played a bit with his self-confidence and what he was susceptible to. Because when Edward was getting picked on at school, his mom was likely like, see, I told you, they're wicked. You just need to be with me. Right. That kind of stuff. So even though they're raised in the same household, could have had different experiences that way. That's true. On May 16th, 1944, Henry and Ed were burning marsh vegetation at the property and the fire got out of control. The fire department came to put out the fire and no one could find Henry. Once they began looking for Henry on the property... Ed led them right to the area where they found him dead, laying face down in an area that was untouched by fire. Oh, no. Did he kill his own brother for bad-mouthing his mom? I believe that he did, but it's not official. Let me explain. Oh, it's totally what he did. I think so. It did not appear that Henry had died because of the fire. He didn't have any burn marks. Not even the grass around him was touched by the fire. But he could have gotten caught in the smoke and you can die from smoke inhalation and not have any marks on the outside of your body. That is true. Some people suspected that he had been laying there for a while. So I'm thinking maybe the fire was a cover up. The fire was a cover up. The coroner listed Henry's death as asphyxiation, despite him having bad bruising on his head. Henry was just 43 years old. Police never suspected any sort of foul play. However, looking back, many believe that Ed killed his own brother to defend the honor of his mother. Yeah, I totally believe that. I think it's way too coincidental for it not to be. Mm -hmm. And after his brother died, Edward was happy to have Augusta all to himself. That sounds gross, Christy. You know how when we talk about how serial killers have an unnatural relationship with their mothers often? This is a model case for that. Mm. Augusta started to notice that Ed was reading some unbecoming magazines and different books on things like grave robbing, head shrinking, and human anatomy. She reportedly was starting to feel concerned about her son reading this type of material. Where was he getting this material? I don't know. I'm sure it wasn't in Augusta's library. No, I'm sure not. Unfortunately for Ed, Augusta became ill later that same year. She suffered a stroke and became quite sickly. 
the next year, on December 29, 1945, at the age of 67, Ed's beloved mother died from complications of a second stroke. And what led up to this stroke is so crazy. Allegedly, according to Edward, him and his mother went to a man's house to purchase straw. This man was named Mr. Smith. While there, they witnessed Mr. Smith beating a dog to death. While he was beating the dog, a woman ran out from inside his house, screaming at him to stop. This woman was not Mrs. Smith. She was not his wife. Augusta called the woman Smith's harlot and was more upset about the woman than she was about the dog. She had a stroke and died soon after. So not on the property, but she had worked herself up so much. Yeah, that they were saying that this stress brought on that second stroke. She felt really strongly about harlots. She really did. And women in general. Yep. Could you imagine being more upset about a woman running out of your neighbor's house who's not his wife than watching a man beat a dog to death? No, not at all. You don't even know the whole story. Maybe it was his sister. Well, it didn't sound like it because he was like in a robe and she was in a robe. And But then how do you get to like, you're spending time with your mistress to outside now killing a dog? So either way, he was a dirtbag. Yeah, that's a weird story. Mm -hmm. But it is a story that Edward claimed. Hmm. And I wouldn't put it past Augusta to get so riled about it. No, that fits her personality. Yeah, because I'm assuming strokes can be brought on by stress. Yeah, you're right. As you can imagine, Edward was devastated without his darling mother. He literally had no one else in the world. He had never had a friend, and now at the age of 39, he didn't have any family either. That would be so lonely. It really would. He had never really had to think for himself. Whatever his mother had told him to do, he took his gospel truth, and as a result, he started to spiral. Ed wanted to preserve his mother's room exactly like it was when she died. He boarded up all the rooms in the house that she used most often, which was pretty much the entire upstairs. The pictures of the rooms afterwards look like museum photos and were considered like a shrine for his mother to Edward. Edward lived on the main floor in the summer kitchen in a small room adjacent to it. That happens with grief. It does. Ed had his mother buried in the Plainfield Cemetery and on her headstone, along with her name and birth and death date, he just had the word mother inscribed on it. Because that's all she was to him. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he recognized that she was a person outside of that role that she had for him. That she would have had to be like a sexual being to produce him. Did he realize that at one time she would have been a child? And I think if they ever did get on the subject of like, well, how did we get here then? She probably would have said that was my duty. Mm. You know, like God needed you to come to the earth and that's what I had to do to get you here. Right. Because everything was stemmed from a religious view for her. That was her curse yeah, of a woman, right? Ed could not cope with the loss of his mother. The rooms that he lived in became disgusting and grotesque. The photos looked like what you would see on an episode of Hoarders. His personal hygiene declined as well. People reportedly started to notice how filthy he was and what a foul smell he carried with him. He would do odd jobs around town to try and support himself and received some federal government funding for farming. He also sold about 80 acres of land, allowing him to become more of a hermit. So now he doesn't need to work for money. Right, so now he needs to interact with the public even less. Edward passed the time by reading more books and magazines, including adventure stories and books involving death and cannibalism. He also enjoyed reading the obituaries in the local newspaper. That sounds really disturbed. It definitely is. I'm just picturing a listener at home going like, hey, those are all the books I read. (laughs) Sorry if we offended anybody. That is still disturbing. (laughs) In this context. (laughs) Well, for me, knowing what he does and what I'm about to tell you, it is disturbing. Edward's loneliness continued to grow and grow until it became so unbearable for him that one night, 18 months after his mother had died, Ed ventured out to visit his mother's grave. On that particular night, he decided to dig up his mother's decaying body. No. He removed her head by twisting it and took it home to shrink it like he had read about in his magazines. What? You're joking. I'm not. There were other shrunken heads in his house, but he told people that they were from overseas. What? After digging up the body of his deceased mother... Ed Gein would have a hard time controlling himself not to dig up many, many more. And just a warning that it's going to get way more graphic from here. 
And just a note about this particular detail about his mother's head. I only found it in a couple of resources, but they were very reputable sources. So even though it's not reported that often, I believe it's factual. So he just like put his mother's shrunken head on the dining room table or whatever. Wherever he had it, I'm not sure. And people that came to the house, they recognized that it was her head? There was a few heads and it was just a boy who had been there. I don't know if he had come to like do odd jobs or whatnot. And he had told the boy... He said he got some from the Philippines or different okay. places. And so the boy didn't question, but later accounted that he had seen these shrunken heads. But this little boy, I don't think would have recognized Augusta if it was her or not. Right. That's disturbing. Yeah. He was just so overwhelmed with his grief and how much he missed his mom. He had to go and get a piece of her to bring back to the house. I thought you were going to say he dug up her body and like brought it home and slept with it or something. Oh, no. But twisting off her head and bringing it home, I don't know how much better that is. No, it's not much better. No, especially after 18 months. Ugh. I'm going to first talk about the two women who Ed was officially charged with their murders. And then we will go back and fill in the missing pieces because so much happens in between. Well, right now I'm wondering, how does he get even anybody out to his farm? He doesn't bring anyone there alive. Oh, okay. So, but he does venture from the farm then. He does. Well, he does go into town. Okay. Right? Because he purchases things in there and, mm -hmm. and whatnot. And there was this tavern in Plainfield about 10 kilometers from Edward's farm that was owned by a woman named Mary Hogan. Ed first met her in 1951. Mary was a loud-spoken, take-charge kind of woman. Ooh, she's going to remind him of his mother. Yes, hold that thought. She wasn't afraid to use foul language and ruled her own roost. This behavior earned her the nickname Bloody Mary. Mary was middle-aged and had a colorful history. Ed was mesmerized by Mary. So many things reminded him of his mother when it came to her. But then, on the other hand, so many things about Mary were totally opposite to how his mother was. To make it even more tempting for Ed, Mary even physically resembled his deceased mother. Oh, no. The only difference was that she was personable and welcomed the public into her tavern. She wasn't calling anyone the devil. No. And she may not be as proper as his mother was. No, she used foul language yeah. and it had a colorful past. This fixation on Mary continued until the frightful night of December 8th, 1954. Ed went into the tavern to hang out with Mary. This suggested to me that they were at least friendly with one another. She likely didn't feel threatened at all by Ed. She probably took pity on him. He's this lonely guy. He doesn't have any friends and she's personable. And so you would just naturally want to strike up a conversation with him and make him feel at ease because he's probably super awkward. Yeah, you're most likely right. And most of the townspeople did describe him as being quiet and polite. Mm. He seemed like this nice guy who was just too shy. Ed stayed at the tavern and had a few drinks. When they were alone, he pulled down the blinds on the windows, walked up to her, placed a 32 Mauser pistol to her forehead, and pulled the trigger. What? I thought she was his friend. She was. Oh, I don't want to be his friend. No, you don't. Especially if you remind him of his mother. Could you speculate from that that he didn't like his mother after all? No, it is the opposite, and we're going to get into that. Ed was able to leave the tavern in his pickup truck and make it back to his farm with her body undetected. To the townspeople, Mary had mysteriously disappeared. Nobody saw anything. There was no blood in the tavern? There was. Police obviously suspected foul play. They found blood on the floor that trailed out into the parking lot and an empty bullet casing by the initial pool of blood. But they found no evidence to suspect Edward of murder. And the technology was not as great in the 50s as it is now either. Right. The next day, Ed told a man that he was working an odd job with that he had killed Mary. The man assumed Ed was joking and did not believe him. So he dismissed the comment. Oh, no. People had reported that Ed did have a strange sense of humor all the way back to elementary school. During school, he would apparently just start laughing at his own jokes that he was thinking in his head. And the kids just thought he was a little bit weird. There's nothing wrong with that, Christy. <laughs> there better not be because I do it too. <laughs> Three years later, on November 16th, 1957, 58-year-old Bernice Warden went missing. She owned the local International Harvest Products shop and was the mother of Deputy Frank Warden. She had been running the store since her husband had passed away in 1931. Her son had come around 5 o'clock p.m. to visit his mother at the shop with Sheriff Sly 
and discovered blood on the floor, as well as a 22 caliber rifle that was out of place from its spot on the rack. Hmm. They also noticed that the cash register had been stolen. Bernice was nowhere to be found. On the counter, they discovered a receipt for the last sale of the day. It was a receipt made out to Ed Gein for antifreeze. Deputy Warden remembered Ed coming into his mother's store just the day before to inquire about antifreeze prices. And I wonder if he had intended to snatch Bernice that day, but was stifled when he showed up and realized that Bernice's son was in the shop. Oh, maybe. But obviously he had followed through on his purchase of the antifreeze because she filled out the receipt. So maybe he actually went, bought antifreeze, and then was like, oh, I need to take her home. Well, and he gives a totally different account, and I'm actually undecided as okay. to what the truth actually is. So I'm curious what you'll think. But before I do, you'll never guess who Bernice just so happened to look like. His mom. That's right. She physically resembled Augusta, Edward's mother. In the book, America's Most Bizarre Murderer, Edward Gein, written by Judge Robert H. Goller, he includes transcript of Ed answering questions regarding Bernice. Ed said he parked outside the store and took inside with him a glass container for antifreeze. He asked Bernice for a gallon and she filled it up. He paid her for it and then took it out to his vehicle. He said he went back into the store to speak with Bernice about trading his Martin rifle for one that she had in her store. He asked her if he could see a specific rifle and she replied, quote, Sure, it's my favorite type of rifle. As they were discussing the rifle, Ed remembered that he had a couple of 22 short shells in his overalls pocket from shooting red squirrels the day before. He took them out to see if they'd work in the new rifle. Because they were discussing mm -hmm. short shells, long shells, long rifle shells, I think. This is not my lingo here. <laughs> okay. But he wanted to see if the short shells would fit. They were testing it. Yes. He took them out of his pocket to see if they would work in the new rifle. He said that the shell got stuck and as he was looking for a release on the gun, he must have accidentally pulled the trigger. He said you had to kind of click where the trigger was or click on the trigger to release the mechanism. He said he heard a sound like an air rifle makes, and when he looked up, he couldn't see Bernice. She had been standing northwest of him looking out the window. There had been a countertop island between them, and so when he walked around the island, he found her laying face up on the ground. He set down the rifle to check on her. Next, he noticed blood. Ed claimed that blood would often make him feel faint, and then he would black out. He didn't remember what he did after that. He knew he was in the store around 8.30 a.m., but then his next memory was when Darlene Hill, her brother Bob, and their little brother came to his place just after noon that same day. I'm having a hard time buying that because didn't you just tell us that his parents were slaughtering pigs and his reaction was not squeamish then? That is true but I'm sure he would have been punished for that. Oh, maybe. So that would have changed his reaction then or made it stronger is most likely the case. But he kind of goes with this claim of whenever he sees blood, he gets a little woozy feeling and then he blacks out. So that he somehow thinks that this justifies or makes an excuse for what he does next then? No, because he never really tries to excuse his behavior. Okay. And in the transcripts, he is asked about like, well, didn't you ever hunt deer and that kind of stuff? And he says, no. And they're like, well, you were shooting red squirrels. And he's like, yeah, but I never went to go look at them after. Like, I would just shoot them and then leave them out in the field or wherever. Because he didn't like to see the blood. Okay. Which is ironic with what we're going to be talking about. So I don't know yeah. if he always would black out and kind of go into this alter state or not. Later psychology reports don't say that he has, like, dual personality or anything like that. Yeah, they do. And we'll get there. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that, to me, is more of an explanation then. Mm-hmm. Because if he's blacking out, it's an alter personality taking over and then you don't have a memory of what that person did. And I don't know for sure what the truth is, but I can definitely see that that could have been the reality. Okay. Edward and his victim, Bernice, had always been friendly with one another. He even admitted to jokingly asking her to go roller skating with him about a month prior to the incident when a new rink opened in town. So he's actually going for a date now. Yeah, he said it was more just like joking, but... You know how all jokes have a little bit of truth in it? Mm -hmm. And they would have been similar to ages at this point in time, too. Ed stood by his claim that shooting her was an accident. He was just wanting to test out the shells in the gun to see if they would work. Part of me believes it. If he does go into this disassociated state, then I could see it being that way. 
I don't think it was an accident. I think he probably went into a disassociated state and murdered her. And then when he went back, was like, oh, this must have been an accident because he had no memory of recollection of it. But he did remember the gun going off, walking around the counter and seeing her on the floor. And it was when he saw the blood that he went into that state, according oh, to him. Okay. Or he could have totally just walked in there and killed her because he did do that with Mary. He walked yeah, in, shot she, her in the head. But she had time to write out that receipt. So that would tell you that he didn't just walk right in. No, and he had even taken the antifreeze out to his car. He put it on the floor of the back seat. And then he went back in and like, oh, wait, I wanted to talk to her about trading in my rifle. Yeah. Or once he had that gun in his hand, he couldn't resist. Who knows? And I'm not trying to defend like anything that he does. No, we're just trying to understand the sequence of events. Right. The next day on November 17th, Sheriff Sly and Deputy Warden decided that they needed to at least go and visit Ed to see if he knew anything. Since his was the last receipt, they assumed that he may have been the last person to see Bernice. What they discovered truly is what horror movies are made of. It's mind-boggling to think that they actually discovered the things I'm going to tell you about. I've decided that I'm not going to censor it, so be prepared. So he goes and finds his own mother? Yeah, he's there with the team. He's not the one to actually find her, but he's there. Oh, that is horrific. When they arrived at the Gein farm... Ed was not home, but they decided to still take a look around. There was a shed that was attached to the summer kitchen. Police entered this shed and discovered a woman's body strung up upside down like a deer. Ironically, he had killed her on the first official day of deer hunting season that year in Wisconsin. That's eerie. Mm -hmm. And I'm mentioning that because that's how he said he remembers the date. It was the first day of hunting season. She was strapped by her ankles. Her head had been removed and she had been cut from her genitals to her sternum. She had also been disemboweled. They were not expecting to find this horrific sight in Ed's shed. This body would sadly turn out to be Bernice Warden. About this discovery, Sheriff Sly said, quote, Tendons in the ankles had been cut and a rod had been placed through them. The body was drawn up in the air by a block and tackle. The body was dressed out and the head was missing. And the term dressed out, I think, means to be gutted, which is likely a hunting term. As they entered the kitchen, they found Bernice's head in a sack. She had nails hammered into her ears. Both of the nails were bent so that twine could be attached to both ends. Ed had been planning on hanging this poor woman's head in his house for decoration. Oh, that is very gruesome. It is very gruesome. By this point in time, Ed had decorated and furnished his home with multiple items made from female bodies. He had preserved them, though? Yeah, and I'll tell you how. Okay. They found Bernice's organs in a bucket, and her heart inside a plastic baggie was near the stove. Her cause of death was a gunshot by a twenty-two caliber rifle. Upon this discovery, the sheriff ran outside and vomited. <sighs> Who can blame him? Yeah. Because this is a small town, too. Well, and that would have been his deputy's mother. Yeah. A multitude of officers were called to the farm to help process the crime scene. The property allegedly had no electricity, smelled atrocious, and was just piles of filth mixed with body parts. The smell would have been awful. Terrible. I remember I told you that people were making comments about how he just had this gross smell on him. Oh, it would just cling to him. Oh, that's gross. That's what I'm thinking that smell was. <gasps> oh. The task of sorting through the house would take well over a week to complete. I'll go through a list of some of the things they discovered at Ed Gein's home. Ed had a four-post bed. On each of those posts, there was a human skull. He had also taken cleaned off skulls, cut the tops off of them, and was using them as soup bowls. What? Mm-hmm. And additionally, he crafted utensils out of various bones. So he would eat his dinner inside a human skull with a spoon that had the handle of a bone. You just have like a human tibia and you're just slurping your soup off of it. Yep. Out of someone's head. Ugh. Five heads were found wrapped in plastic bags. Ed used human skin to upholster the seats of his chairs. So you know those older style wooden chairs that have a square shaped hole where you sit and usually had some type of wicker weave on them? Mm -hmm. Ed had pulled human skin and used rivets to attach it to look like leather. And I wonder if some of the skills he used, if he had learned them from his father when his father worked as a tanner. 
That is disturbing. Mm -hmm. But it just looks like leather on Mm. the chair. It's disturbing how he's desecrating these bodies to the point where they don't even look human anymore. Right. The same way that you would use an animal product. Yeah. Like how we would buy a leather chair. Mm -hmm. He was making one out of skin. Police found multiple faces. They had been peeled off from his victims' heads and preserved like masks. Some of the faces even had lipstick on them. No. Ed used some of these skinned faces to decorate his walls with. Like Hunter's Hang Game. But he's not a hunter. He's not. I thought he fainted at the sight of blood. Well, he's saying he would feel faint and then he would go into a dazed state. That disassociated state. Right. Okay. But regardless, he hung a bunch of women's faces on his wall, like as decoration. And a lampshade too, right? Yeah, we're getting there. (laughs) One of the faces that they found was that of tavern owner Mary Hogan. They could actually recognize that it was her face. Her face was not on the wall. It was found inside a paper bag and her skull had been kept in a box. With Plainfield being such a small town, I imagine the authorities recognized many of the victims. And I can't even imagine how traumatizing that would have been for them. No, it's just so bizarre. Like it would have been unthinkable or hard to even fathom that this is what you're actually seeing. Right. You would imagine to only see something like this in some type of horror movie. Mm Mm-hmm. There was an armchair made with human arm bones. He had made a waste basket out of human skin as well as lampshades. When he had electricity, he lit his room with the glow of human flesh. He made a purse out of skin and managed to attach handles to it. There was a box with four human noses. There was a set of human lips attached to the end of a window covering drawstring. And one of the most disturbing things they found, in my opinion was a belt made of nipples. What? Yes. No. It had the ends of a regular belt and a bunch of areolas with nipples sewn together to make the leather part. That is disturbing. I don't think I'll ever get that image out of my head. I looked up the pictures. I'm suggesting that maybe you don't. How many women did he kill? There was lots. Enough to make a man-sized belt. And then he would wear it. Mm -hmm. We're not even done talking about the things that he's going to wear. And as bad as these findings are, we still have more to go over. Ed had made a pair of gloves, a corset, a shirt, and leggings all out of human skin. He also made a vest out of a woman's torso with the breast still attached. He basically made himself a suit from human skin. So he could dress up like a girl. Yep. And when you ask, like, how did he preserve it? He kept the skin soft by regularly treating it with oil. So Silence of the Lambs. Yep. I read in some accounts that it was castor oil and other accounts said motor oil. But either way, he was using oil to keep the skin pliable. Police also found a box that had nine vulvas inside of it. What? Two of which seemed to be from younger or teenage girls. And they also found a young girl's dress. And the list goes on. Police kept finding bones and fingernails and other bodily items amidst the rotting garbage inside the home. And I cannot imagine the stench of all that decaying flesh mixed with the smell of trash. Authorities believed that there were the remains of at least 10 different women at the Gein farm. Two of them were never identified. My jaw cannot drop any farther. (laughs) I know. This is why I've waited a little while to cover this case. It's just so hard to fathom. Ed was found at the West Plainfield grocery store and immediately arrested. He was taken to the Watoma County Jailhouse. Yeah, because how do you explain any of that evidence? No. There's nobody else that lives there. It's just him. He had the last receipt of the day at Bernice's shop. There's no way you're talking your way out of this. She's hanging in the shed. Yeah, her head is in a sack with nails in it. Her heart is by your stove. I just can't even imagine still. Like, even though I've seen pictures and I've gone through this so much, I just can't even imagine them walking in and finding and discovering all these items. And him to have the audacity and the confidence that nobody is going to show up at his house, that he's just freely displaying it. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. Like, were there no salesmen that would come by occasionally? No neighbor that would drop in on him? Like, he just has complete confidence that nobody's even paying attention to him. Well, he doesn't even have a friend. He's not built any relationships. He's been friendly to the people in town, but no real friends that he would hang out with or anyone would even think to come and check on him. 
But how many door-to-door salesmen do you get? Yeah, but they're in the, kind of the middle of nowhere. Like their closest neighbor was at least a mile away. Okay. And he had 190 acres. I don't know how far into his property his house is. That one mile away neighbor might be an anomaly. But still, how could he even be sure that nobody would drop by just unexpectedly? But if everything is closed and locked up, you can't see anything from the outside. Everything was found indoors. Okay. Remember, he had said that those three people had stopped by at around noon that day, Mm -hmm. but obviously didn't come in. So once in custody, Ed remained quiet for an entire day, but then admitted to the murders of Mary and Bernice. I believe he admitted to Bernice first and then later admitted to Mary. And remember in your previous case how Sean Lamb was paid money by the police to confess his crimes? Mm -hmm. Well, guess what it took for Ed to spill his beans? Well, was he paid money? No. All he asked for was a slice of apple pie and a piece of cheese. What? Mm Mm-hmm. I do love apples and cheese, though. I don't love apple pie, but apples and cheese are good. But that's all he wanted. Could you get me a slice of apple pie and some cheese? They're like, sure. And then he was willing to tell them. That was a relatively cheap confession then. Yeah. But maybe that was something that his mom made for him and he just really wanted a piece of apple pie. Maybe. Ed claimed that he didn't have a full memory of his actions. He said that he would become dazed during the crimes. Officers noted that Ed was calm during his interrogation. He spoke matter-of-factly and didn't seem to show remorse or understand the gravity of what he had done. He sometimes even appeared to be cheerful. When questioned where he got the other bodies from, Ed said that he had robbed the greys of recently deceased women. He would always read the obituary to alert himself of any fresh burials, especially middle-aged women who resembled his precious mother. So were the graveyards not reporting a whole bunch of dug up graves? No. Because this isn't where he's getting the women? That's just a story? No, he does actually get them from the grave. I don't know why they weren't being reported. You would think that there would be at least some security. Or people would notice that graves were repetitively being dug up. He must have been pretty good at hiding his tracks because nobody had any suspicions. That's going to take a long time to dig up a grave. Yep. And he would fill it back up. So he wouldn't just leave it dug up. But I guess if he's going after freshly dug graves, then you wouldn't even be able to tell the difference between him disturbing it and what was actually there in the first place. Yeah, that's true. At first, he would just rob a grave that he knew belonged to a deceased middle-aged woman. But he found that the flesh was dried out and hard to work with if they had been buried for a while. So then he switched to only digging up fresh graves. Because Plainfield was such a small town, there is a good chance that he knew most, if not all, of the women whose bodies he had snatched. He said that between 1947 and 1952, he visited local graveyards close to 40 times. He claimed that he was in a dazed-like state when he was doing so, but he insisted that he only robbed the graves about 10 of those times. The other 30 times, he left the graveyard untouched. If he was in a dazed state, then how did he know that? I guess by the number of bodies that he would later discover he had in his home. Okay. Ed also said that he had a friend named Gus who helped him dig up and transport the corpses to his home. When his friend moved to a facility for seniors, Ed began killing women instead. It was easier than digging them up all alone. Which again, this statement is kind of contradicting his, oh, I didn't know what I was doing claim. But I'm going to bring somebody along to help me out to do something that I don't know what I'm doing. Right. And so that doesn't make a lot of sense. No, he kind of contradicts himself, doesn't he? Yeah. Baloney. There you go. (laughs) Okay, we're calling it baloney, Ed. (laughs) No matter how much we say it's always both, you can't have it both ways, Ed. Not in this circumstance. Naturally, police wanted to verify if this was true or not. If it wasn't, that would mean that Ed had likely killed each of the women whose remains were at his property. One of the graves that Ed told police to inspect was that of Mrs. Adams. Her grave was, in fact, empty. In one of the other graves, they found a casket with no body, but what they did find was an old crowbar inside of it. Apparently, Ed had used it to open the coffin, but then forgot it inside. They also found a set of dentures and a wedding ring in the disturbed ground around one of the graves that would have originally been inside the casket. This was enough to make police believe Edward's claim of being a grave robber. That's so disturbing. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's good he didn't murder those women, but it's still, like you said, very disturbing. Mm -hmm. 
On November 22, 1957, Edward Gein was first charged with robbery for the cash register that he took from Bernice's shop. They held back on the murder charges until he could be examined to determine his sanity. The psychologist and psychiatrist who interviewed Ed concluded that he was schizophrenic and a sexual psychopath. Some experts believe that he may have been diagnosed differently if he were to be diagnosed today with our medical advancements. One thing I think even medical professionals today would agree on is when Dr. E.F. Schubert stated that Ed had an, quote, abnormally magnified attachment to his mother. Oh, for sure. No one's arguing that. It was said that Ed's condition was in large part due to his relationship with his mother. It is believed that the woman who he killed and whose bodies he stole represented substitutes for his mother. Because he was trying to bring her back to life to him? Right. So when you asked earlier, was it because he actually hated his mother? No, it was because he was so obsessed with his mother. This was a substitute, a physical substitute to having her around him. So he's like creating Frankenstein's monster. Well, he's decorating his house with them just to have them around. Hmm. He had natural sexual attractions towards women, but had also adopted unnatural viewpoints regarding women from his mother's teachings. So was he sexually attracted to his mother then? I don't believe so. Okay. He naturally was attracted to women, but his mother had taught him how evil and dirty and bad that was. So he had this conflict going on. Hmm. And because of this, Ed developed an extreme love-hate relationship feeling towards women. This inner conflict would eventually lead him into a full-blown psychosis. This psychosis would cause Ed to desire to know what it felt like to be a woman. He would wear the suit made from female skin, including the vest with the breast attached to it. He would also place dried female genitalia over top of his own to see what it would look like and feel like. What? He would put on women's underwear and dance around the farm in the moonlight, wearing the skin suit that almost covered him from head to toe. Oh, that is so creepy. So when they're saying he's in full-blown psychosis... And doing this type of thing, I don't think I argue that. Or when you say this is just like a horror movie. Yeah. It's super disturbing. And we'll talk about this in a little bit too, but he was very motivated by the moon. Like he would like to dance outside in the moonlight. That is interesting because that's often a pagan kind of practice. But with his mother being so religious, that doesn't sound like something that she would have taught him. No. But if he was doing all of that research on shrunken heads and all of that, that probably came out in his reading. That could be. I never really made that connection, but you could be right. Because when he would put on this suit and go dance around outside, it was in the moonlight. Despite him being curious and fascinated with the forbidden female body, Ed protested that he never had sex with any of the women's bodies. He said they smelled too bad. He claimed that aside from masturbation, he stayed a virgin his entire life. Okay. Did he fondle the bodies and that kind of stuff? Probably, but I think almost more out of a forbidden fascination. I just have a hard time believing that necrophilia didn't enter into it because he does all of these other super odd behaviors. And he could have. And they did classify him as a sexual psychopath. Mm -hmm. But was that because he was mutilating women's bodies? Yeah. It's interesting either way. It is. Like I said, this case is a field day for researchers. The other thing that Ed denied was cannibalism. And there was no way to prove if this was true or not. But they didn't find a freezer full of human meat. Right. I definitely don't get that vibe from him. No. On December 17th, the judge received a recommendation by those who had interviewed and assessed Ed that he was found legally insane and should be permanently committed to the hospital. The judge followed this recommendation on January 6, 1958. He was committed to the Wisconsin Central State Hospital for the Criminally Insane. Ed would prove to be a model prisoner. He never had one infraction on his prison record. That's not surprising. He was already used to following such strict rules with his mother. Exactly. And he seemed to be happy. He kept to himself but did get along with others. He participated in his meetings with the psychiatrists. He read a lot. He did things like stone polishing and rug making. The only bizarre behaviors reported was that he would sometimes become transfixed on the female staff and would just sit and stare at them. It was said that Ed remained fascinated with the power that women had over men. His mother had taught him that women were strong and men were weak. 
I guess when they weren't being devil-serving harlots. Yeah, I guess, eh? The other bizarre behavior was said that he often experienced moments of delusion during a full moon. Oh, there is something to be said about that. Yeah, go into labor and delivery on a full moon. (laughs) (laughs) So he was very affected by the moon. After 10 years of treatment, Ed was deemed competent to stand trial and was finally charged with the murders of Mary and Bernice. After getting through all the red tape to hold the trial, it began on November 7, 1968, and only lasted one week. Ed was found guilty of first-degree murder charges. However, they declared that he was insane at the time, and so he was technically not guilty due to reason of insanity, and Ed was sentenced to spend his remaining life in a mental institution instead of prison. He was escorted back to the Central State Hospital for the criminally insane. Okay. Ed filed a petition in 1974 claiming that he was no longer insane and didn't deserve to remain in a mental institution. This petition was denied, and he was sent back to the hospital. Rightfully so. Yeah, I thought, how could he possibly have returned to society? What would the things he did even do to his brain? I just couldn't imagine living amongst all those body pieces for multiple years, like laying in bed and looking up at skulls on your bedposts, eating your soup out of a human head, and wearing someone's peeled face over top of your own? Yeah. There is just no coming back from that, in my opinion. No. In 1978, Ed was moved to the Mendota Mental Institution in Madison. As Ed grew older, he became senile. And on July 26, 1984, at the age of 72, he died of respiratory failure due to a long battle with cancer. Staff at the hospital claimed that Ed was always mild-mannered and even helpful. The superintendent said about Ed, quote, If all our patients were like him, we'd have no trouble at all. We don't want any more egg games, thank you very much. I second that. The very next day after his death, he was buried next to his mother in the Plainfield Cemetery, the same cemetery where he had robbed graves and then mutilated the stolen bodies from. He was buried early in the morning and only four people were in attendance. The families of Mary Hogan and Bernice Warden felt like Ed Gein never received the punishment that he fully deserved. Would they have liked him to have a death sentence? Or possibly have been sent to prison. I'm not sure what they wanted, but they didn't feel like going to a hospital was fair. Mm-hmm. Some people strongly believe that Ed was actually responsible for more deaths than he admitted to. An eight-year-old girl named Georgia Weckler had gone missing while on her way home from school one day. And 15-year-old Evelyn Hartley had been abducted while babysitting. There were also two missing men who were last seen deer hunting that Ed was suspected of killing. But he wasn't into men. He wasn't. And so I don't feel that those two are a possibility. But the other two, you said that there was a childlike dress and childlike genitalia. There was. And two of them. Mm-hmm. So he very well could have murdered these girls. I wouldn't have put it past him. But there was just no proof. Mm-hmm. After Ed was first incarcerated for his heinous acts, the state of Wisconsin decided that they were going to auction off Ed's property. He had no next of kin to pass it down to. The auction was set to begin on March 30, 1958. Ten days prior to the auction starting, the Gein Farmhouse of Horrors was burned to the ground. The fire was an act of arson, but no one was ever charged. Was it the deputy? Oh, maybe. It was said that the townspeople were shocked when they learned what had happened at the Gein property. Most locals prior to this had only good things to say about Ed, despite him being a little peculiar. However, it is believed that the people of Plainfield feared that if the house had remained standing, it would have likely turned into a tourist attraction, which they really did not want. So no one was upset when it burned to the ground. Even Ed, when he found out, he said, quote, just as well. As far as I could tell, nothing was ever built over top of this space. Hmm. Who would want to build something over top of that? Yeah, that'd be creepy. Some of the documents that I read as well had said that people were already starting to kind of flock to the area. And so the town people were like, no, we don't want this as our thing. And so burned the house to the ground and everyone was like, good riddance. And I would think that would be especially true of the victims' families. Yes. Right? Like, we don't want people making a sideshow of them. Right. Ed's vehicle that he used to transport bodies in was sold at a public auction for $760 to a carnival sideshow operator, who charged 25 cent admissions for people to see it. Today, that would be just under $8,000 for the car. 
There were also a few other items of his that were salvaged and sold off. So some people out there own some Ed Gein items. As we see with many notorious killers, everyone seemed to want a piece of Ed. Once Ed died, people began visiting his grave and breaking little pieces off of his headstone and taking it home with them. It was one of those larger stand-up block types. And sometime around the year 1999 or the year 2000, someone went as far as to steal the entire stone. What? And I thought, who the heck would want this in their house? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Who would want a piece of that? Yeah, not me. That's got some bad juju on it. I was just going to say, you keep that juju to yourself. (laughs) Reportedly, the headstone was found in Seattle a year later and is now in a museum in Wisconsin. As a result, the grave of Ed Gein has now been left unmarked. Who's going looking for it? Well, I guess a whole bunch of people did. Yeah. Although not a lot of people were able to get their hands on physical memorabilia of Ed's, his crimes became the inspiration for so many pop culture media items. I already mentioned three extremely popular horror films where a character was based off of Ed, but many more movies were based off or made about Ed himself. Many songs were written about this creepy dirtbag, lots of books have been written about his crimes, art has been created, TV shows like American Horror Story have drawn inspiration from Ed, and there was even a musical made about him. What? Yeah. When his crimes first were being reported, a subculture of dark humor was created. And these one-liner jokes were referred to as Gainers. No way. Yes. Although he didn't commit his crimes for notoriety, he did become one of the most marveled-at killers in history. And that is the case of a man who had such extreme mommy issues that he murdered, grave-robbed, decorated his home with body parts, and wore a suit of skin just to feel like a woman. The terrifying dirtbag, Edward Gein. He is one messed up fellow. Yeah. Instead of a movie called Psycho, they should have called it Sicko. Yeah. (laughs) Silence of the Lambs always freaked me out. Have you seen the other two? I was wondering that as I was writing it. I'm like, I know she's seen Silence of the Lambs. I'm pretty certain you haven't seen Psycho, but have you seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre? No. Those ones are too... I can watch the suspense ones. I can't do... Gory. The gory. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, definitely gory. Psycho was made in the 60s, so it's not okay. the gory that we're used to today. Hmm. I can see why it was terrifying in its time, though. Yeah. But I'm sure our listeners have a favorite horror movie that they like to watch around Halloween time that probably is inspired, too, by another true life story. Well, I bet there's so many of them that are inspired by actual events that we have no idea about. Mm-hmm. And I can totally see how he inspired so many horrifying movies. Oh, Absolutely. So listeners, let us know what scary movies you choose to watch this Halloween. Maybe you'll choose one of these three and you can think of Edward Gein. And we'll see if Christy can talk me into watching one with her. I think I have a pretty good chance. (laughs) (laughs) But we'll be back next week with another case by Melissa. Until then. See ya. Bye. stomach it's you like, already ate it was digesting it's like <laughs> mm, subway <laughs> so delicious okay now subway you get to pay us money <laughs> that's right there's our plug can you tell who's the amateur and who's the pro <laughs> just who's more creepy out of the two of us <laughs> let's just say she was dissatisfied with george yes or she was not being satisfied by george <laughs> i don't even think i can leave that in there can i <laughs> It's happening. It cursed you. She's pulling a Leonardo. I can't breathe. I just keep my little bottle of celery seed. That's how she keeps me in line. I'm like, I don't want to do that. Melissa shakes her little (laughs) celery seed at me. Yes, I'm allergic to celery. Sly. 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 Like Sly? Yeah, Sly. Sly? Not Sly. Sly.
All right, that's all I'll go with. Because who cannot trust a guy who sounds like I know, that? Right? <laughs> like if he does go into this dissociated, this dissociated, disassociated. Did I ever tell you my trachea story? <laughs> like I can feel my gag reflexes. Like I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm here for you. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, and I still distinctively remember that like sound. <laughs> We have to stop talking about it. <laughs> I can't do it. You know, you're a true crime podcaster when I can tell you about Ed Gein and you pop a chocolate bar in your mouth. Oh, I couldn't be prouder. <laughs> you have graduated. <laughs> Don't you find it interesting, though, that we totally digress on things like it gets so super heavy that we can't even stand it that we're like, OK, we're going to talk about something else. It's true. Maybe that's why we just went on this long tangent. <laughs> Our brains needed a break. It's called coping mechanisms, people. Yep. It's our brain's way of protecting ourselves. Hey, we're live, pal. And we'd love for you to come check out our podcast, Tales from the Estate. Each week, we talk about our top five favorite somethings. My beautiful wife, Caitlin, likes to share all sorts of random facts. Yeah. Did you know that cows have accents? We did now. But we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.